0: At our Stanford campus on a Sunday night in July, I was talking with one of our friends from Pivot. Pivot, who most of you know, is the Men's Recovery Residential Program in Bridgeport. And those men join us on Sunday nights. They see us um, Stanwich as their church home. And so it's always a delight when they walk in. It was a few short minutes just before worship was to begin, and I remember that I was doing the procession of the cross, and if you have been with us, you know that you lead in, and you have people behind us with the cross and the scriptures and the incense, so so you're really kind of focused to be on when that starts. And I was standing on the steps um, above the space where we worship, and one of the gentlemen came up to me, and in that moment, he wanted to ask me a question. He said, Pastor Jackie, what do you like about the Bible? that's a great question but did it have to happen right then and there he said you know and I, so i thought well i need to address it but i'm also need to be down there and so i started talking about that you know i love the bible i like it because it speaks speak words of life to us the the beauty of the words the words in the Psalms and isaiah you just don't see writing like that so you know it has to come from the hand of god that it's written you know when people are on journeys they're in the wilderness and they're sitting in prison and you're just amazed you know at the words and so something made me even though the time was limited I asked him I said what do you like about the Bible and he was ready for an answer he says I like it because it's honest he says it doesn't pretend that people are not who they are and he went on and he said when I read about the people in the Bible I see myself in the mess and the good And I know that God is with me in both. Isn't that amazing? Let me say that again. I see myself in the mess and the good. And I know that God is with me in both. And I said, bless the Lord. Let's go do the procession of the cross. But we spend so much time, don't we, looking in different places to understand who we are. And I hope by now, if you've been walking with Christ for a while, that you know that there is no book, there's no person, there's no seminar that you can go to that will explain to you all of who you are in the way that God's word does. Which brings us to where we are today as we are continuing in our summer series of our study as we look at the life of David, a man after God's own heart, where we see that God is clearly with David and with us in all of who we are and the mess and the good. We are going to look at one of the most heart-wrenching stories, I think, that we see in all of scripture. It's the story of David and his son Absalom, and it is brutally honest. And the feelings of this son and this father could easily leave us with a sense of brokenness and no hope. But it doesn't, because God is always pointing even in the mess, to an understanding, a vision of who he is in our lives in every moment. Several weeks ago, we stepped into the wilderness with Pastor Chuck when he took us on David's wilderness wanderings, and and he helped us recall and recognize our own wanderings. David's first flee into the desert and the wilderness came as he was running from King Saul, who wanted to destroy him. Today, we see David fleeing yet again from someone who wants to be king, one who is bent on killing him to make that possible. And it just so happens that that person is his own son, the son that he has loved. It's the second time in the wilderness for David, and he's going to find that in the mire and the muck of his circumstances and feelings, he's going to find that grander vision, that understanding of what his life with God is really, truly all about. And if it's true that we can see ourselves with all our mess, some self-imposed, and others that have been inflicted on us in this story, then we also are going to be able to share in the grander vision, just as David had, of God. To get there, we will look at the words that David prayed in the cave, words that he used to express his search for God, his satisfying vision of God, and the solution from God to make right what had caused his heartache and suffering. So what drove David to dive into the wilderness? The story of David and Absalom is really told through a number of chapters in 2 Samuel, so I will give you just the thumbnail sketch. I'll give you the information that you need to understand the context of this story. A lot has happened in David's life since his encounter with Bathsheba. His family has grown, he's taken on a number of wives, he's had children, they have now grown, they are adults. But the consequences of David's behavior has traveled through his family and his adult children have committed their own horrific sins. The details of this story are really ones that we most likely cannot relate to, but the heartache, the heartache of a broken relationship and even betrayal of family members, has been known by some of us. And I know some of you are even experiencing that this morning. One of David's sons fell desperately in love with his half-sister, and when she refuses his attention, he sexually assaults her. David hears about it, and he was furious, but he refused to say anything. Think about that for a moment. David knew, but did nothing. He tries to ignore the whole situation out of existence. Absalom, he's a warrior like his father. He began to despise his father for being a coward, and he takes matters into his own hands, and he murders his half-brother. Absalom, he flees as a wanted criminal, but he also flees with the rejection of his father, weighing heavily upon him. After several years, we will find that he returns not with a desire for reconciliation but with a plan for revolution. And he positions himself, as we saw in today's reading, to gain support of the people who start looking to him for leadership rather than his father, the king. His plan begins to gain momentum and he gathers widespread support. When David finally hears what is going on, he realizes that his life is in danger. From his own son. Not only does David flee with the words of rejection of those cursing him, the people that he has served and led, they are cursing him as he's running out of Jerusalem, but he is an utterly broken and broken hearted man. Can you even imagine the heartache that existed in both these men? The depth of brokenness. The mutual rejection between a father and a son. You see, years away from his family, from his father, from his position as prince, had sealed Absalom's anger and revenge deep into his soul. And here's the chosen and anointed King David now hiding in a wilderness cave. There are no words, no words to soften or to make this look any better. It's clear that David is now walking in deep, deep darkness and despair, more than ever before. How could he not be? Don't you wonder what was going through David's mind as he's headed back into the wilderness? He's been there before, and he's going back there again. This isn't how it was all supposed to go. You and I both have no doubt been in the wilderness before and we will be there again and I don't like knowing that and I know that you don't either what I really want is for the work that needs to take place in me whatever is needed for me to live faithfully and with joy I want all to be taken care of once and for all I actually would prefer if it would happen while I'm sleeping (laughs) just wake up it's all fixed all better the prospect of hitting into the wilderness one more time, and more likely multiple times, does not thrill us in the least. But just like David, we are going to find ourselves in the wilderness again and again because of one simple reason. God loves us. He loves us. So he does, and he wants to continue to change and transform you and me to know him, to trust him, to love him. And he's going to put us in the best place for that to begin to shape in us. You see, the wilderness is a place where you have to be honest with yourself and your circumstances. The wilderness is a place where your true desires, your true longings, your heart is revealed in all its honesty. The wilderness is a place where God is present, and he is ready to reveal himself to you in that moment, always pointing you to the reality of a future hope. So here he is in the cave. David no longer bound by the trappings of his role as king. He is now just himself, the shepherd boy grown up. And he pens words that are both intimate and very personal as he lays out his heart before God. Look with me in the Bible. Open your Bibles to Psalm 63 because that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. And we're going to see that David opens his prayer with his search for God, beginning in verse 1. He says, "O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. These are words from someone who is seeking God in a way that means more than just casually showing up. There's something that is cutting deep into David in that cave, and the only way he can describe it is to say that his soul, the deepest part of his being, thirsts for God. These are the words of an older David, who is thinking back and wondering, how did I get here? Perhaps it's the stillness of the cave making him realize that this thirst has been there all along, but he knows that there have been multitude of ways that he's tried to satisfy it. Some of it good, some of it not so good. You know what being thirsty does to you. Doctors tell us how important it is for us to be aware of our thirst. It's what we experience when we feel that our body needs water. Our bodily thirst is never satisfied once and for all. It needs to continually be met. And David's words tell us that there's a place in our souls that is deeply thirsty in much the same way. You see, our soul thirst drives us. We may not be aware of it at the time, but it drives everything we do. Charles Spurgeon said this. Listen to these words. These are powerful. Spurgeon says, Thirst is insatiable longing. There's no reasoning with it, no forgetting it, no despising it, no overcoming it by stoical indifference. Thirst will be heard and the whole man must yield to its power. Alone in a cave, Dave says, I know more than ever that thirst right now in my soul and the only thing that will satisfy my soul thirst is you, God. David does not say my soul thirst for water because he knows that wouldn't satisfy what was going on in him. He doesn't say, my soul thirsts for the destruction of my enemies. Maybe for a second it would, but not ultimately. He doesn't even say that he thirsts to get out of a dry and weary land. He knows changing circumstances will not satisfy him. You've tried that one, haven't you? A new job, a new location will satisfy your thirst. He doesn't say that he thirsts for a kingdom. He says simply, my soul Thirst for you. And as we read and hear these words in our own soul, David tells us that that thirst that he has, the thirst you and I have, is satisfied only as we search for the one true living God. David continues to talk about his search by offering us a different image. Look down in verses five and six. He says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David is saying that I have looked for you in the darkness, and when God could have felt most distant... You've had those sleepless nights when you've wondered where God is in the midst of your chaos. He was, in fact, the closest to David. Here in the shadow, he knows well who cast that shadow around him. And he knows that there is no safer place for him than to be surrounded by the shadow of the presence of God. No safer place. In David's search, we see that his thirst leads in one direction and it's to a very satisfying vision of who God is. Look with me back at verses 2 and 3. Listen to these words. David is saying them directly to God. I almost feel like we shouldn't be picking in on this really personal exchange that's going on. But he's talking to God and he says this. He says, God, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. As you read David's words, remember this. He had held power and glory in his own hands and found that it was quickly fleeting. It disappeared. It's gone for David, and it doesn't matter because he has now beheld something so much greater. He saw God's power. Like many of you have discovered, life is not found in the pursuit of power. Any power we have and all that comes with it is ever so slight compared to the power of God. And because he has seen God's power. God's power is not a theory to him. He has seen it. He knows then that all of his senseless suffering and heartache might one day make sense. David may not know why of his suffering and the circumstances of it, but there is an all-powerful God there that if there is one, then there could be a meaning underneath all of that suffering. Our suffering and our heartache is unbearable if we aren't certain If we aren't certain that God is for us and with us, but God has shown him his power, and that means that he is the one who is in control. God is the one who holds David's life and our lives in his hands, no one else. It says that David saw God's glory. We see in other places in Scripture that when someone beholds the glory of God, what happens? They are completely undone, and they find themselves finally broken of their own self-importance. It is one thing to know about God. It is one thing to hear about him. But when someone beholds his glory, they have come face to face with a beauty that outweighs themselves. The modern-day mystic Evelyn Underhill says this, If God were small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. David has seen the glory. He's seen the beauty of God, the bigness of God, and he knows it is no longer about him, and he is completely undone. And that gives him what he needs to continue on, even into an uncertain future. David has seen God's power, He has seen his glory, and he has known his love. He says this, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. If we are honest, most of us begin our relationship with God because we are looking for a love that will make our life better. God is the latest option we try in making our lives work. David said he found a love that would not make his life better, but a love that was better than life. Do you see the difference? Because it is in times of upheaval, it's in times of chaos in our lives, that we are forced to ask the question, and I hope you will ask this question over and over in your life. It's a check in your soul. The question is, have I been loving God because he can give me what I want? Or have I been loving God because he has become the only thing that I truly want? I'm going to repeat that again. Have I been loving God because he can give me what I want? Or have I been loving God because he has become the only thing that I truly, truly want? That's the question that David was faced with, and his answer was yes, I have found a love that is better than life. And that love is found only in one place. It's found in God and in God alone. It was in the wilderness that David found, just like we do when we are there, that when God is all you have, he's all you want, and he's all you need. David saw one more thing in that vision of power and glory and steadfast love. He said that God had a solution for his circumstance. And the solution is both difficult and hopeful to hear. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Those words sound vindictive to us, don't they? But David finds great comfort and hope in knowing that God will not tolerate evil forever. If we are people who have lived with injustice and wrong done to us, our comfort is that one day things will not be like this. One day, God will make right what has been wrong. But if we understand who we are, if we hold up God's word to our own lives and are brutally honest about who we are, then we know and we cannot deny that we have sinned, that we have been the source of injustice and betrayal that we have wronged others, and that we deserve to receive whatever God needs to do to make what we have done right. The solution would come almost 500 years later, after David prayed those words in the cave. That's a long time to wait, isn't it? But David knew the day was coming, but he had no idea how God's power, how his glory, how his steadfast, never-ending love would come together to provide the solution. You know that that day did come. It's the one that the prophets had spoken of. When God himself entered into the darkness to make right what was wrong. But instead of setting out to destroy the evildoers, he came with mercy. Instead of sending us to the depths of the earth, he himself went there. Instead of turning us over to the sword, as it were, he turned the sword upon himself. At the cross of Jesus, you and I see the power and the glory of the vision that David only barely glimpsed. God's power was seen in its fullness as he was stripped, beaten, and made completely weak for our sake. His glory, his beauty was seen when he was crushed by the ugliness of our sin. We see God's love act decisively as he shows that his love, this love, that is the source of the solution, is even better than his own life. At the cross, we see God's justice roll down in all its righteous fury upon us. Not upon us, but upon Jesus so that he could bring justice to all who have suffered without destroying us. What David was searching for, the satisfying vision for God, the complete solution for all that is wrong, we ourselves Behold, as we see Jesus sacrificing his life for our sake upon the cross. It's what David was pointing to without even knowing it. Friends, clear your eyes, clear your hearts of any distractions so you can see. And come, come today again to behold him in the sanctuary